our research efforts around the state of Black healthcare innovation. It's something that's very important to the fund and to us to have an impact outside of direct capital allocation, although I do believe that is the most important, just on the ecosystem in general and raising awareness of what Black folks in healthcare are doing. We are investing in uh, healthcare companies that are Black founded and led and looking for you know those Black founders to have board seats, appropriate levels of authority. So obviously they're going to be a chief, but you know, what kind of chief, right, matters. So. Those were the voices of Catherine Cooper, partner at Jumpstart Nova, and Marcus Whitney, founder and managing partner of Jumpstart Nova. After connecting during the pandemic, Catherine and Marcus realized that they both shared a background in early stage pre-seed ventures and a passion for supporting Black healthcare founders. Today, they are co-partners of Jumpstart Nova, the first Black healthcare venture fund in America. I'm Bryn Plummer, host of the podcast Twin Day, Rethinking Entrepreneurship. Twin Day is key Swahili for Let's Go, and it's our rally cry here at the EC. It represents the vibrant passion and strategy of Nashville's entrepreneurs who continuously strive to grow their businesses. It's also the name of the EC's program dedicated to leveling the playing field for entrepreneurs of color. This show is a production of the EC, and it's all about engaging in open and honest conversations with incredible Black and Latinx business experts, investors, and successful founders located throughout Tennessee and other parts of the United States. Over the past two years, disparities in healthcare and race in the American system have amplified. Not only are people of color not receiving adequate healthcare services, but founders of color who operate in the healthcare sector struggle to receive necessary funds for their ventures. In today's episode, Catherine and Marcus join me to discuss why they have started a fund that invests exclusively in Black healthcare founders. They also share how their company, Jumpstart Nova, emerged and why they're passionate about investing in healthcare solutions for today and for the future. Before we dive into today's conversation, we would like to extend a special thank you to the generous support of the David and Rebecca Clements family for making this podcast, Twin Day Rethinking Entrepreneurship, possible. Well, welcome to both of you. Welcome to Twin Day Rethinking Entrepreneurship. So we usually like to start by just having people tell us a little bit about themselves, kind of from the earliest times. Tell us about your childhood, sights, sounds, smells in your house, what it was like in your household, what was kind of a normal day like in your household, where'd you grow up, all that sort of thing. And since this is our first interview with two people, so I'll just kind of pick one person and then we'll we'll let you guys kind of sound off. But Catherine, let's start with you. I couldn't really tell you what my house smells like, except uh, I grew up in Los Angeles uh, in an area called View Park, primarily African-American area. I guess they call it the Black Beverly Hills. Not as a joke, that's really its moniker. (laughs) Every time I go home to my mom's house, and I still live here in Los Angeles. Now I live in Santa Monica, but uh, 20 minutes away from my mom. And I haven't been there for a while. It has a very distinctive smell and it just smells like my house. I couldn't tell you what it Mm. smells like, but it is the same smell that I remember smelling when we... We moved into that house when I was, I think, 11 or 10. Same smell. What's mom doing? What's what's the move, mom? What are you doing to make that smell so consistent? I don't know. You know what? I think it's just the house. Like, I don't know if it's my mom because I feel like I remember that smell when we moved in. And so it, <laughs> that actually sounds super creepy. Now. I was going to say, maybe it's some distinctive wood. Maybe it's cedar. We just don't own the building material. It, it, could, it could be cedar. There's a lot of wood in the house. <laughs> 
on hardwood floors. I have no idea. That sounds like like it's rancid and horrible, but it's very comforting actually to come home after uh, whether it's you know traveling, not seeing my mom, or traveling in LA, which means you live twenty minutes away, but you're trying to avoid mm-hmm, peak traffic mm-hmm. times, you know, and returning to your childhood home and being like, wow, like it smells the same. Uh, my younger brother has been living in China for about four years, and uh, pre pandemic, he would come home for about a month during the summer, and he would point it out that like the house has the same smell. Like, anyway, uh, I've gone probably too deep into this question that you, uh, answers you never knew you wanted. Yeah. Like just, what was the, what was the household like? Like, you know, where are you guys, what activities were you doing? What jobs did your parents have? I think a lot of times when we ask this question, we're trying to understand like, what were the roots of this, this entrepreneurial life that you've taken on, you know? So uh, I, I really enjoy this question. Um, I'll start with, uh, I guess, my mom, since I've described her living in this house, it's had the same smell for like my entire adult <laughs> life and childhood life. Uh, so when I was growing up, uh, my mother was the business manager of my dad's pediatric practice. My father was a pediatrician and neonatologist, uh, meaning he was a doctor for kids and then a neonatologist doctor for neonates. So premature babies, that sort of thing. And practiced at two hospitals uh, in Inglewood, California. She was the office manager at my dad's office, uh, and then the super mom on every PTA, took us to school, did every activity, came to every sports game, and was a, a consistent presence in our life, and uh, very emphasized school and school being important. This is something that's really important to my parents. They used to say that, you know, like our job is to have jobs and your job is school. And your job is to mm. do your best. Mm. This is to say, my mom would also emphasize that, uh, you know, she said, your grandmothers went to college. Actually, your great grandmothers went to college. And for being an African-American family who lives in the U.S., it's a big deal. That's saying something. Yeah, that's saying a lot. School wasn't a non-option, I suppose. And when I give a little bit more of my bio, I always say I love school. Got a lot of degrees and some, not some of others, but... Uh, <laughs> Pretty heads down nerdy. And so uh, speaking of schools, my dad went to medical school uh, at Howard University, uh, one of the HBCUs. Uh, At his time, you know, if you were a Black physician, and actually this is true still, I think uh, both Meharry and Howard produced one of five Black doctors in the U.S. Mm. If you were Black and you were a physician uh, who went to school in and around that time, like you went to one of the HBCUs. And that was almost exclusively where you went and were accepted. So medicine was always around, but it was a topic of interest and a topic discussed at the dinner table, right? You know, like, what did my dad do that day? And then having him be a pediatrician, and we're talking about my childhood, right? His patients, our children, Mm. uh, coming to his office, I don't think I truly understood exactly what he was doing, except I was confused why there were just, when I was really little, like why there were so many other kids around. Mm. You know, yeah. like, like this is my dad and what are you doing here? <laughs> That's not my um, dad. <laughs> yeah. Or like why these other kids were like coming up to my dad and like hugging them when we were out. I was like, what is this? Uh, so you kind of grow up thinking your parents knew everybody, but it was really, they just knew <laughs> uh, patients in the community. What a beautiful life you've had. It was really, it was really lovely. Uh, and it transitioned a little bit, not to somber or conversation, but to kind of and keep it pretty honest when I was in college, my dad was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer and unfortunately passed away. He went from diagnosis, prognosis to death within six months. Wow. So when I refer to just my mom, it's not because my parents are divorced, it's just my dad's no longer with right, us. Right. And that was a very transformational experience for me, watching my dad, who was the, you know, the physician 
now meet a patient being treated at a hospital where he was, he worked, you know, by his colleagues. I was in college at the time. I went to Stanford. Stanford's not too far from Los Angeles, just a Southwest flight away. Back when Southwest flights were actually super cheap. Yeah, I remember those days. Uh, Those were good days. It was great, right? They were $29. (laughs) And if you missed them, they were every hour, so it didn't matter. Yes, now, not so much. Yeah, now, no, no, no. Pretty much every weekend uh, while he was ill and, you know, stay home for the weekend and then go back to school. And it just showed me, I think, patient care and medicine in a different way. It transformed it from being something that I thought was interesting, cool, a, like a language my dad spoke that I didn't totally understand. Honestly, kind of like having to, having to learn what grades were, right? Yeah. And I had to learn. He's saying like CBC and blood culture, like give this patient amoxicillin. And I'm like, what do those words mean? Like, tell me dad. Mm. To, you know, understanding what terminal illness means or what, uh, you know, the efficacy of chemotherapy actually translates to in real life, right? That for his type of cancer, it was a life extender by a couple months, but was never going to be curative. And so it really changed my perspective on healthcare medicine and specifically patient impact because it was no longer something that was like looking at something from the outside, right? Like an interest, like you're looking at healthcare in the body, like you're watching a movie, yeah. right? Now you're actually in the movie and really experiencing how um, something that I had kind of loved growing up intimately affected uh, both my day-to-day life and essentially my family life from from now on. So mm. childhood was idyllic. Our school was really like a little playground. We even had a gully, like a like a little river that ran through it. <laughs> That's so specifically California too. Super specific. And it was also, I think it's technically like a runoff from the Beverly Hills Reservoir. Mm. So it's not even like a real river, but it looks like one. Basically made for your school. Yeah. So I guess that's a little bit about my parents. Um, my mom, uh, after my dad passed away, is no longer the business manager of his office and uh, now runs an upper bound program at Santa Monica College and absolutely loves it. She is a teacher by training, uh, used to uh, teach Spanish and then was a vice principal and has a master's in education. So to run a program and upper bound takes children who are in high school, either below a certain poverty level or whose parents haven't gone to two-year or four-year school and essentially acts like almost what a private school dean would do to work with them for four years around you know, attending college, mm. which is a very high success rate in terms of the students who've graduated from that program and have gone on to school and told me that she would finally consider retiring when one of her graduates could actually come and run the program. Mm. Yeah. And that has now actually happened. One of her graduates oh my finished college got a master's and is now working pretty closely with her. We'll see if my mom follows through on this whole retirement thing. But uh, <laughs> this is really the narrative of school is a big deal for my family yeah. in general and has really been impactful in kind of my entire career. But my dad owning his own practice always said to me when I was younger to learn something where you could like hang up your own shingle. Mm. I was like, oh, I guess I kind of know what that means. Now, I, as an adult, I understand what exactly. that means. Exactly. Yeah. As a kid, you're like, I don't, things just materialize. I don't understand what you're talking about. I walked into this room and there was stuff. I don't know what you're exactly. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred. Well, I've talked at you for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I think, and also I should have said before, Marcus, like, feel free to interject. I want this to feel like a conversation between three people, but I did not set us up for success for that because I asked you all individual questions. But yes, feel free, Marcus, to cut in if Marcus is answering. Catherine, you have you know questions. I want it to feel you know all three of us are participating. But I'll I'll ask Catherine. That was such a helpful context setting, and 
makes so much sense now reading about your background and the things that you've done in health tech DEI and kids X, it just all really tracks leading up to, of course, Jumpstart Nova. But Marcus, what about you? I feel like you're on a different coast, right? You grew up, did you grow up in New York? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, East Flatbush. Pretty, pretty different insofar as, you know, my mom and my dad both only finished high school. My mom finished high school and just kind of went right to work in Manhattan. She was a credit manager at a pretty iconic at the time department store called B Altman. And so she was a working lady in, uh, in, in New York city, you know, um, taking the train into, uh, in, into Manhattan from Brooklyn and back home every day. And my dad was a, uh, corrections officer actually for, uh, New York city. And then when, when he retired from that, he then went to work from the, for the post office. So that was kind of the household that I grew up in. And, and, uh, in terms of smells, you know, I, I know that there was a smell kind of, you know, similar to what Catherine <laughs> was, was talking about. There was definitely a smell to the home, but the, the smells that I kind of mostly think about as a kid are the smell of breakfast on the weekends because, mm. because my mom, you know, worked in the city, she was a working, working mom. So, you know, it, breakfast was like cereal for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. but on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know, she would cook and that was like awesome. And then also <laughs> funny enough, uh, magic shave, which is something I think is distinct to, uh, African-American households. Like if the men had like razor bumps back oh in the day, God, yes. they, right. They would use magic <laughs> yes. shave and like, you can't mistake the smell of magic shave. It is a very strong smell. And so that is another one of the smells that just sort of, you know, pops in my head immediately. It's almost like weirdly medicinal, but it also kind of smells like the way a beauty shop or barbershop smells. It has that. This is just a very distinct smell of magic shave. Definitely one of the smells of my childhood household was pink lotion, Luster's pink lotion. Mm, That's yes, one pink that lotion. takes that me one back. Too. That, <laughs> that one too. Takes yep. me back. You guys both, it almost, I kind of feel like you all were both sort of outsiders, I think, to the world of entrepreneurship, or it wasn't necessarily something that was uh, necessarily in your path. I mean, education, I think building programs and and your dad having a practice that makes sense to me, Catherine, that, that you found yourself here. But how did, how did you two meet? Like, were you guys both already, you guys were both already in kind of venture entrepreneurship, but did you all meet at a conference and then kind of join on Jumpstart Nova? Or was it, Marcus, you put out a call to folks to help with Nova and then Catherine emerged? <laughs> like, how did that happen? How did you guys come together? Yeah, I think, I think the timing is, is important just to set the stage. So, you know, Catherine and I met during the pandemic, right? So, so definitely wasn't at a conference, not even like an (laughs) online conference, right? We, we both had, uh, had years of experience in early stage, you know, predominantly pre-seed venture and healthcare venture. And so the, the universe of, uh, black healthcare investment professionals is, is not that big. And, uh, you know, I think we were, you know, generally speaking on, on, on different coasts. But once I started putting Jumpstart Nova together, it was pretty clear uh, that I would, I would need a partner in order to, you know, really realize the the potential that the fund could have. And I uh, just came through network. Um, I've got a, a, a partner in our, our business, a guy named Steve Trimatier, who um, his superpower is connections. He's, you know, easily one of the most connected people I know, kind of knows everybody um, or knows somebody <laughs> who knows somebody. Yes. And, uh, you know, as I was talking to him about what I was, you know, what I sort of was looking for in an ideal partner, he, the very first name that he came up with was, was Catherine. And I was like, yeah, you know, put us in, in contact and, uh, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. But I'll, I'll let Catherine, you know, tell the story from her perspective. It's so interesting to hear the story that like you weren't necessarily privy to. So I like to both be serious and joke that 
like Marcus was a random, not <laughs> like he is a random person or individual or that I didn't know that he worked in healthcare venture and had started Jumpstart Health Investors. But in terms of, you know, like you said, had we met at a conference, a digital conference, something like, no, not at all. Have lots of Venn diagrams of overlap in terms of network. But had Catherine and Marcus personally interacted prior to uh, Steve introducing us, absolutely not. Um, but my joke is uh, that Marcus is a random because my introduction to Steve was through the chief innovation officer, Uncle Krakarni, of Children's Hospital Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where I was running uh, CTIP, a med tech accelerator, along with two other physicians. And I'm also uh, an investment advisor to KidsX, the digital health accelerator that Omcar runs. And he told me, hey, I uh, caught up with Steve. I think you should chat with him. You know, just kind of vague. He's a friend who is building a venture firm. There might be some sort of fit, uh, you know, kind of I'll let Steve take it from here. Like very short email. If I wasn't going to click on the keys and uh, make too much noise in this podcast, I'd look it up right now. <laughs> I feel like a short email is also the secret sauce to getting a connection made. There's something about, hey, you two are awesome. Want to put you two in connection? Two lines max. I'm going to follow up on that connection because if someone gave that little intro, I'm like, okay, they knew this was a high value thing and they knew it, they had to get it out quickly. There's something about that short email that really makes me sit up and take notice. A hundred percent. So uh, I was directly connected to Omkar and having worked with him for a number of years, uh, not directly connected to Steve, but he was connected to Steve and Steve was connected to Marcus. Sometimes the universe gives you exactly what uh, you both need at the time. And I am very happy that the universe connected to us, that we were kind of random individuals. But as Marcus pointed out, there are not that many Black folks in VC period, yep. but specifically in healthcare. And so the introduction to Marcus came at a very pivotal time for me in terms of what I was thinking of, you know, kind of wanting to do, having come from the accelerator and pre-seed investment space and having done that for, I think, four years at the time that, four or five years at the time that Marcus and I uh, were introduced. And I had come off working on a project with the California Healthcare Foundation's Innovation Fund about strategies that their venture capital firm could use to invest in more Black, Latinx, and female founders in health tech specifically. Mm. And the answer to that was to allocate capital. I assume we're probably going to get into this a little bit later in the podcast. Yep. Marcus kind of introduced with, I am starting a fund that is going to invest exclusively in Black healthcare founders. It's like, you had me at hello, <laughs> or you had me at your investment thesis. Yes. Because this is the answer. And yeah, it was just, it was fantastic. I don't know who was you know, pulling the strings back here in the universe, connecting <laughs> randoms together to make a really awesome fund, but it's fantastic. It does feel like kismet. And it does feel like, I, I mean, I've talked to so many people who the pandemic created collisions, it created, it catalyzed in some way a sense of urgency, or it brought people together that previously would have been so caught up in what they were doing in the day to day for good reason. It, it forced and forged some some relationships that might not have emerged otherwise. And I think you guys are a great example of that. I mean, eventually you guys would have found your way to each other. Like you said, it's a small universe, but there was something about the place and space of, of the pandemic and particularly that summer of 2020 that I think really brought people together. And that that actually makes me... So Marcus, you wrote a piece in the summer of 2020, sort of in the wake of the death of George Floyd and then this moment of racial reckoning that was not news, I think, to most Americans that this was the situation, most Black Americans, I should say really implicating and calling out the healthcare venture, uh, the healthcare world, really, particularly in Nashville, to think about 
there's been a ton of wealth creation here. There's been a ton of innovation in this industry. And the people who are recipients of that are almost exclusively white. And so it it, it kind of opened up the door, I think, to a lot of conversations that weren't being had in Nashville. I think in some ways, like we're a little behind as an ecosystem to talk about and address these things head on. But was were you already thinking about Nova when you wrote that piece? Or was it the piece emerged and it it kind of enough people came to you and said, I'm interested in this, let's go? Like what was the how did those what was the relationship between the piece? And Nova itself. Yeah. So the 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 piece uh, sparked conversation, and those conversations sparked Nova. So I didn't write the piece with with Nova in mind. I, I wrote the piece because I was committed to writing a weekly newsletter because I was going to be publishing a book at the end of June, and um, at the end of May, uh, George Floyd was murdered, and so you know, it's it, it was a very difficult climate to be trying to market a book yes, <laughs> about yes. entrepreneurship in the middle of, you know, uh, you know, we weren't even six months into the pandemic. The economy uh, was in serious question. And now, you know, you've got America literally on fire, you know, yep. sort of in, in, in the wake of that murder. And so, you know, I had to think about how was I going to communicate with my readers, you know, about what, what we were all sort of experiencing. And, uh, and then also, you know, what was my responsibility, you know, in that moment, given my own position of, of, of privilege and the, the power that my voice could have. That was, that was, that was why I wrote the, the, the piece, not because I had a fund in mind. <laughs> Which would have been fine either way. Like, I think it would have been a bomb way to enter the fund into the marketplaces. Healthcare has been a significant wealth creator in this town and too many people who are directly experiencing the biggest issues that need to be solved in the system are not being invited to the table to create innovations and also to benefit from those innovations. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say that the, the reason why it was the, the piece first, then the conversations, then the fund is because I, I am an entrepreneur before I'm an investor. And, uh, you know, I've certainly had some failed ventures. And one of the things that I care a lot about is product market fit. Mm. And I'm, I'm also kind of a pragmatist. And so, Prior to the conversations, it was not clear to me that such a fund could could be raised. Wow, yes. You know what I mean? So so that wouldn't have been where I would have started. You know, it was after the conversations that I was like, oh, this is this is for sure different. You know what I mean? This mm. the the sentiment, the openness, the admittance was you know, first first in life kind of experience. And so that's yes. when I was like, oh well. If the feedback I'm getting through these conversations is kind of a first in life, then perhaps the environment can support a first of its kind fund. That's so beautifully put. And it makes so much sense because I remember there was kind of a a kind of wake to reading it because it, it was so clear and cogent. It was not it couldn't be denied. It was just, you know, laying out a case. But there was still this kind of, you know, tiptoeing around it in the public sphere, I think. But it created and generated so many conversations that needed to happen. Uh, and I think it also allowed people who had felt perhaps guilt or perhaps some awakened uh, awakened reasoning around their own wealth or own position or understanding about how it came to be. It kind of helped galvanize that community. Similarly, like we have a very, very tiny non-dilutive capital fund at the EC. But before... I'd been saying for years, like the way to attract, just like you were saying, Catherine, the thesis to attract more underrepresented founders 
is to give them money. What don't they have? What's a good, unique selling proposition? Give capital where there are great ideas. I didn't feel I could raise that fund. I was kind of told you can't raise that fund in not so many uh, words. And so there was a climate where we were kind of feeling out what's going to come from this. And I'm so glad that Nova is one of the things that's come from it. And so to that end, I just want to talk a little bit about getting into Nova, like what exactly it is. So, well, I'll first, I'll just say directly, it's the first black healthcare venture fund in America. You've just finished a raise, if I'm not mistaken. You've made your first round of investments. I'd love to know kind of why you chose the name. No, just the, you know, the background, like why you chose the name Nova, how much did you raise, who are your key investors, if you can share. And then we'll talk about what companies you chose and why. So we'll just kind of get into the backstory. Yeah. So, you know, the the name of the fund is Jumpstart Nova. We we kept Jumpstart from the Jumpstart Health Investors platform that my partner Vic Gatto and I co-founded in 2014 because first-time funds are difficult to raise and it's helpful if you've got platform and you've got track record. And also uh, it was just better to partner with, you know, this existing business for all of the benefits that it brought, you know, fund administration uh, capabilities, you know, familiarity with all the vendors, law firms, tax accountants, et cetera. There's a lot to raising a fund that's not just raising it and investing capital. So, you know, leveraging the Jumpstart Health Investors platform to include the name was, uh, I think, a, a pretty big part in the success of the fundraising process. In terms of like how much we raised, so we raised 55 million. We set out to raise 30 million. That was the target. And then assuming that we would have more success than 30 million, we had set a hard cap, which basically means a, a contractual upper limit to what you can raise of 50. And uh, in our last quarter had so much momentum that we had to get the upper limit increased by 5 million to support all the demand. So uh, close with 55 million, which is, a, which is I would say, is a, is a good size fund one for a seed series A fund like what we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are investing in uh, healthcare companies that are black founded and led and looking for, you know, those black founders to have board seats, appropriate levels of authority. So obviously they're going to be a chief, but you know, what kind of chief, right? Matters. So Mm. CEO, COO, if it's a heavily clinical business, a chief clinical officer would, would be appropriate. We're investing across the United States and we're very fortunate in healthcare. You know, it, it's not it's not like a lot of other venture capital models where you're looking to disrupt an existing industry. You're certainly looking to disrupt the status quo in the industry of healthcare, but disrupting the actual incumbents in many cases is just not reasonable because it's a highly regulated environment. And so, you know, for for us, we wanted to make sure that we had the the best support beyond the capital for the founders we invest in. And we do that through having a great group of strategic limited partners that are actually healthcare companies, uh, some of the biggest in the country. Based here in Nashville, we've got HCA, which is the largest uh, uh, for-profit health system in the country. Mm-hmm. We've got Meharry Medical College, uh, one of the HBCUs that Catherine was talking about earlier that graduates one out of every five black doctors in America. But then even outside of you know Nashville, we've got uh, big players like uh, Eli Lilly and Pharma, uh, Cardinal Health and Overall Health Services, Atrium Health and Henry Ford, uh, two additional um, health systems, the American Hospital Association, which is a uh, you know really important partner, uh, LHC Group, which is a home health group that's based in Louisiana, second largest in the in the country. So we've got a really good group of LPs that when we are reviewing deals, they can give us feedback. And then once we actually do make investments, you know, uh, optimally would be able to support those companies with uh, with business development opportunities. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. And it sounds like 
you've got some huge corporations behind it. And it makes sense because I think for an HGA to go out and build the kind of relationships to go out and source incredible Black-led healthcare startups, I think would be a tremendous new business unit and arm for them to undertake. And so they're kind of, a lot of these corporations have come to you guys as this aggregator in order to not dilute their own efforts. I think it sounds good for them, good for you guys, good for the founders. And then how do y'all divide and conquer the work in the day-to-day? So I manage our deal flow process. So that's everything from, you know, founder learns about Jumpstart Nova to they reach out to us uh, to evaluate their company, to we start diligence and uh, move forward with the investment. Uh, Marcus and I take, we will equally lead deals and we're not both leading. Uh, I will lead a deal or Marcus will lead a deal. But in terms of the deal flow process that founders go through, that's my lane. Uh, I also head up our clinical advisory board and uh, our research efforts around the state of Black healthcare innovation. It's something that's very important to Mm. the fund and to us to have an impact outside of direct capital allocation, although I do believe that is the most important, just on the ecosystem in general and raising awareness of what Black folks in healthcare are doing. And I'll kick it over to you, Marcus, for the other half of our divide and conquer. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I, I, I'm, uh, I'm heading up our strategic limited partner engagement. So, um, you know, making sure that our partners are leaned in, making sure we understand how innovation works at their organizations so that we can best translate uh, our portfolio companies to opportunities that they have in their organizations. And then I also lead our, our industry expert panel, which is kind of the other side of our advisory group, less on the clinical side, more on just the healthcare business side of things. You know, Catherine and I are dividing and conquering because they, we have there's two partners at the fund, and yeah. um, you know, we 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 really do partner uh, across everything. But there's got to be an owner of each thing, just so you know, there's an agenda and someone is sort of setting the course, and and uh, you have to sort of trust each other to to sort of lead on on particular areas. You know, I think as we look into the future, you know, fund two, fund three, um, especially as we we grow the the assets under management and we have more partners, you know, we'll, we'll probably be collaborating a lot more closely and and you know sharing responsibilities across these these areas because they're really pretty important to have shared responsibility over. But when you have as much activity as we've had, especially since launching uh, in January, you know, well over 100 companies uh, coming in inbound. Whoa, that's a huge number of inbounds. Whoa. Okay. 100. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Catherine is the front door. So she literally like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How, how do you all like how do you manage what do you. Well, let's get a little nerdy for a second. So I work for an entrepreneur sport organization. There's so many different things. How do you keep track of all these? Do you have a. Like, what's your back end to keep track of all these applications? And also, what's your, what are you really looking for? What's a, what do you look at when you say that's a Nova company? Like, how do you decide if they're a Nova company? You have to like, oh, you guys would probably fit more with the foundry. What, what are you looking for? How do you keep track of it? And then who gets a yes? Uh, I don't necessarily like having to answer uh, what is a Nova company because I think a Nova company can be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, And so to set up, just kind of strict criteria of filters on companies, you know, whether that's revenue targets or sectors within healthcare, clearly this stage of investment uh, is critical for us because we only do seed in series A. But outside of that, setting up these kind of guardrails, I think puts us into the same bucket as what is traditionally, you know, caused certain groups, specifically women and people of color, to be chronically underinvested in, in venture capital. Hello. Yes. And so I'm just very conscious about is what we're doing necessary 
And does this get us to the end result that we want? Or are we doing this because it's just easier to filter, you know, uh, 200 companies into set groups and just say, okay, everyone under this threshold is a no. Um, I don't think that's fair. And I also think that means we're going to miss out on a lot of uh, interesting companies. 100%. So from a process perspective, and this is where I got to put my nerd school hat on, (laughs) we have a very transparent process or when I believe to be transparent, uh, we'll get feedback from entrepreneurs to understand if they think that is so. Because I'm running our deal process and I am a real person, not a robot. Uh, <laughs> we ask for founders to complete a connect form on our website. It's jumpstartnova slash connect. There's a big button on our homepage. And essentially everything you read through our website takes you there. We are consciously clear in how we share about our fund. So our criteria for deals, meaning the sectors we invest in, our check size, do we lead? What is our geographic focus, et cetera. And that is all on the website for anyone to find out. So that's a you know fellow VC, a entrepreneur, yep. someone who just wants to learn about us. And that was really important to uh, Marcus and I to off the gate when we were public that if you want to learn about Nobstart Nova, everything you would typically cover in like the first 10 minutes of a call is on our website. Thank goodness. In our own words. Y'all can't do this for a hundred people. So yeah, there you go. And then once they're, in, and so then founders, regardless of the source of introduction. So let's say, um, you know, an incredible black founded and led healthcare company, right? And you shoot Marcus and I a note asking if we want to be introduced. I say, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, someone sends me a Twitter DM or a LinkedIn message. Also great. You know, like I, I believe that entrepreneurs can come from anywhere and it's on us to capture them from any type of communication channel that they're coming from. But I funnel them all into the same starting point, which is the connect form on our website, which is intentional to ask for the same inputs from every founder. So we're not you know, asking for some things from some folks and not from others, either because we forget mm. or because you just get into a conversation. And so it's very much a stepwise process to minimize bias, yes. but also to collect a set number of inputs. So I can do a lot of essentially asynchronous work on my own time that doesn't necessarily involve having a direct conversation with the entrepreneur until it hits kind of a critical point in which we need to have that direct conversation. So there are you know, hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs and there's kind of one of me. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to understand how to extract the most critical and important information and learn the most about their business before I set out to talk to them. So that 30 minute meeting with them can actually be a lot more informative Yes. instead of spending 10 to 15 minutes on this is about Jumpstart and then like this is about my company, like let's go through our deck. It's like we've all done the homework, Yes. you know, like let's kind of get into the next steps of the conversation. So I like to say our kind of connect form process goes through a lot of what you would do in that uh, traditional first VC meeting, but using technology. Thank goodness for that. Honestly, I feel like that also... I hope other ESO people and people at funds and people at accelerators are listening to that because there is so little time and there's so much opportunity. There's so much out there. And I, I think you've you put it so so artfully, Catherine, that it's about what can I do to maximize myself. And also I meeting with unqualified leads is just the most time sucking, soul sucking venture, even if they have exciting ideas, like 30 minutes goes by fast. So I love that. I think there's a lot that people can glean who are working with founders, working with large volumes of founders. And that actually gets me to a couple of my last questions. So one, I just want to know about who are the companies in the portfolio right now? How many are in there? And um, is there one in particular that you would want to share about with our listeners? 
We have five companies in the portfolio to date. They are covering pretty different uh, aspects of the healthcare industry. Healthcare is very diverse uh, in terms of you know what kinds of companies you could have. So we won't single any one out. We'll just try to give a quick rundown of the overall portfolio. The first investment we made is in a company called DrugView. They are a platform for patients with autoimmune diseases to help them collect their uh, healthcare records from across all the different providers they have to work with, and then to interface with different uh, research hospitals as well as uh, clinical trials from pharmaceutical companies. We have another company called Cell Evolve, and they are a cell and gene therapy commercialization company, so helping bring uh, novel cell and gene therapies to market. Uh, we have a company called Teamwork Healthcare that is a tech-enabled service for families with children with autism, um, helping them get the necessary applied behavior analysis uh, help that they need. We have a company called uh, Allergy, and they are a platform, both lifestyle as well as device uh, and, and also some, some innovative therapeutics for uh, people with food allergies. And then the most recent investment we made is a company called Intis Care, and they are a big data and data analysis company for providers that are serving dual eligible populations. So that means generally speaking, seniors that are covered by both Medicaid and Medicare. Love this. So dynamic all over the map. And I, I feel like you also approach this really beautifully on the Jumpstart Nova website, which is this is a $3 trillion industry and it touches so many. Everyone interacts with the healthcare system. It's everything from over-the-counter medicine to, you know, fertility treatments to uh, over-the-counter drugs. It touches so many lives and there's just so many ideas that can improve the conditions of people, all people, because all of us interact with the healthcare system. But because of this chronic underinvestment, there's so many ideas that aren't being brought to market. So I do think there's we're going to see these innovations impact real people's lives, which is also what gives me tremendous excitement about what you guys are doing. And, and it's nationwide, right, if I'm not mistaken? Nationwide. Yep. We invest in U.S.-based companies with U.S.-based solutions. Beautifully put. Uh, this kind of gets me to the very end. Um, I have two questions. One is kind of more practical. How can people interact with Jumpstart Nova? What's the best way to get in touch with you? One, I will say, to Catherine's point, do your homework. Don't show up and book time with Catherine if you haven't read the uh, extensive overview of what they're looking for, jumpstartnova.com slash about. How can people find you? How can people interact with you? Do you guys have any upcoming stuff or anything you'd want to promote or plug? I guess I'll double down on the best place to connect with us is to fill out the connect form on our website if you are a founder. And then I will personally be back in touch with you uh, in terms of next steps. In terms of upcoming things that we have, I would have to cheat and pull up my calendar, which I don't have in front of me right now. Um, so I'm living my life by a color-coded G-Cal that looks like a game of Tetris. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing later today or tomorrow until I look. Listen, it's the end of Q1. Everyone's going through it. I don't, I'm sure there are many people who can relate to you're living your life by a calendar that you have to consult to know exactly what you're doing from day to day. I feel that completely. The other thing I do want to emphasize uh, to kind of hearken uh, the topic from uh, previous in terms of our portfolio companies is that if you look at the sectors that we invest in uh, on our website, which is diagnostic devices, healthcare IT, tech-enabled services, biotech, and consumer health and wellness, we are interested in all of those sectors equally. So I think that's representative in the portfolio companies that we have, that they're all very different but all within healthcare innovation because we're investing in solutions like what are the solutions for healthcare for today and what are the healthcare solutions for a few years from now. So I think sometimes founders will look at venture capital funds 
portfolios is indicative of like, oh, do they invest in companies like mine? But we are very clear that all of the sectors we are interested in and we kind of love them all the same, uh, just like we you know, love all of our portfolio companies equally. Marcus, how about you? Yeah, I would really, really ask for people to um, use the Connect form. It's uh, it's it's really, really helpful. We've been so, so fortunate to have so much incredible interest in what we're doing. It's validating. It's life affirming. We're very, very grateful for it. And there are yep. still only two of us. And so, you know, the Connect form allows us to be able to process everyone really, you know, A, in the order in which they're received and B, also route them to the best possible person for for next steps in terms of a conversation. And so we really are just asking everyone to to uh, reach out to us primarily through that, especially if you are a founder. If you're a founder, that that is the front door. Perfect. I would also highly recommend folks grab a copy of Marcus's book, Create and Orchestrate. I think uh, many of us in and around Nashville have had a chance to read it. And it is just a really beautiful, it's just a beautiful exploration of entrepreneurship. It's kind of different from a lot of the entrepreneurship books that are out there. It feels personal. It feels human. It also recognizes that like people are are very, we contain multitudes, um, but to maintain focus as an entrepreneur is a really big emphasis throughout the book. So definitely grab a copy of that. And I'll just say jumpstartnova.com is where you can find all the info on Jumpstart Nova. They are just beginning their journey, but we are so excited that they are doing it. And then the Nashville backyard, no less. So look forward to everything that you all do. So grateful that these five companies will be coming to market with your support, hopefully in the next few years. And really excited to hear the next round of investments that you all will pursue really excited for that. So thank you both so much for your time and your energy. Um, I Thank you for what you're doing. I know that the burnout for folks who are in this space of venture plus DEI is really high. So I hope you take care of yourselves and do something really fun this weekend. Thank you for listening to Twin Day, Stories of Entrepreneurial Success, a podcast that features the stories of incredible Black and Latinx founders who are accelerating the pace of change in the startup world. We want this show to support you and reflect the realities that entrepreneurs face every day, so your feedback is much appreciated. For a recap and transcript of this episode, and to learn more about the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, including the Twin Day program, go to ec.co slash Twin Day. If you learned something from today's episode, please follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you again to the David and Rebecca Clements family for the generous support that makes this podcast possible. Until next time. Can you imagine starting a company in a closet and later selling it for over $20 million? If you're on the entrepreneurial journey or have an interest in learning more about Nashville's business pioneers, Nashville Entrepreneur Center has a show for you. Circleback captures Nashville's most innovative entrepreneurs to share their stories and give back to the next generation. You'll hear equal parts inspiration and practical insight from some of the city's most exceptional entrepreneurs as they recount the defining moments of their journeys. Listen to new and past episodes on demand at ec.co slash podcast or search for Circleback wherever you listen to podcasts. You don't have to start and grow your business alone. Come down to the EC and work with fellow entrepreneurs. For more information, visit ec.co. That's ec.co.